0: It's more than the data, it's more than the rising temperatures. It's about how it's affecting people, how it's playing into the systems and coming from the systems of our everyday life and of the oppression that is
1: everywhere.
2: My name is Rob Van Nood. And I'm Matt Woodard. You're listening to the third season of Elevate, a podcast about big ideas, little projects, and everything in between. Rob and I sit down for in-depth conversations with students and educators to raise your awareness about interesting and important things that are happening here at Catlin Gable School and in the educational world beyond. Hello, Catlin community and beyond. Happy New Year. We're looking forward to hopefully a, a great 2021, and we're starting it off this year in on Elevate with a podcast that I'm really looking forward to sharing. We have four members of the Environmental Action Team that is uh, involved in a lot of work right now in, in uh, the upper school and in, in, in around Catlin. I also have uh, because Matt is on uh, paternity leave for a couple weeks, uh, I've invited Berkeley, Gaba to be a, a guest host today. Um, welcome Berkeley.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
2: So today I, I really wanted to have a chance to sit down and, and talk with Audrey, Megan, Chloe, and Ava. They're all going to introduce themselves a little bit more in a minute partially because the work they're doing is really important, but also uh, because a lot of people are familiar with Elizabeth Rush, who was here uh, in December. And she's, people don't know, she's the author of Rising, um, which is is a, a book about the effects of climate change on uh, communities, you know, next to water and, and bodies of water. And she came and spoke with everybody. And that got me thinking that it would be really great to hear more about the work that's happening uh, on the ground with students around Catlin. So, I'm going I'm gonna just going to start with Megan. If you could introduce yourself, say a little bit about who, you know what got you involved in Environmental Action Team and then we'll just pass it around uh, and then we'll, we'll t- we got a lot of things we'd like to to cover, but uh, we'll start off with Megan.
0: Hi, my name is Megan. I am a junior at Catlin. Um, I'm one of the co-leaders of EAT, or the Environmental Action Team. Um, And I started working with EAT when I was a freshman. And I started learning about um, global warming like really in depth in middle school. And it was very scary to me. And I wanted to get involved somehow And when I was, when I was coming into high school, I found EAT and so I decided to join and here I am.
2: Great. Uh, We'll just, in in my view here on Zoom, we're just gonna go around clockwise. So Chloe, if you wanna introduce yourself.
0: Yeah. Hi, I'm Chloe. I am another co-leader of EAT and I'm a sophomore. And my well, what the EAT does mostly is we work on creating change within the Catlin community in regards to sustainability and the climate crisis and environmental issues. And so I start the first time that I did something related to all of that was actually before I joined the EAT in middle school, where my friend Hannah and I worked on a no idling campaign. And so... When I came to high school, this seemed like a next step in continuing with working
3: on that.
2: Welcome, Chloe. Ava.
3: Um, so I'm Ava. I'm a freshman and new to Catlin. And well, my mom, she's an environmental scientist teacher. So I guess I was kind of raised like always kind of in this area, like always like thinking about it. Um, but what got me to join EAT was actually at the beginning of this school year, when for one of my classes, we had to write these letters to like a representative about a certain like climate issue. And my representative actually like responded to me. And it was just like, I and, felt and, like I'd actually done something.
2: Can you say who that was? Who's, who's the rep? Um, yeah, to? that
3: was um, Earl Blumenauer. And like I have I have this letter like just in my room and I look at it every once in a while. I'm like, yeah, I really <laughs> did that. And it was just, it was a good feeling because like I felt like I'd actually made a difference. And then I was like, that's what I want to do. So now I'm working um as a member of EAT. And specifically I work on the biweekly newsletter, Eat Your Emissions. And it's going really well.
2: All right. Audrey, you wanna Talk a little bit about yourself and and the work some of the work you're doing.
4: Yeah, so my name is Audrey. I'm a sophomore, and this is my first year um, participating in EAT. So we I learned a lot about like climate change and the environment all throughout middle school. And I actually didn't join EAT last year, even though I wanted to because I was attending another club, but just seeing all the stuff that EAT was doing last year and what they've done over the past few years at assemblies and stuff, that was really inspiring. So along with um, us learning a bit about climate change last year in our, um, our human crossroads class. So I just decided to join this year and I am part of the recycling team and we are hoping to organize a number six plastics uh, like drop off um, area. And then um, so that we can bring it to Agilex so it can be recycled.
2: So could you say a little bit more also about the, the group at large? You are four members who decided you wanted to come in and speak a little, how, how big are you? How many students are involved? How many projects are happening beyond the ones you just mentioned?
4: Um, so I'm not exactly sure how many um, kids are in our group. Um, Megan or Chloe probably know more because they're um, they help manage it. But I think there's around 15 to 20 kids. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah.
4: And um, yeah. So we just um, at the start of the year when we first um, had our first meeting. We just brainstormed some ideas or some ideas from last year that weren't completed of what we wanted to do in the community. And then we were just able to pick which groups we wanted to be in so that we could focus on projects that we thought we could be the most helpful in.
2: Does this idea, I mean, many of you talked about having experiences in middle school and a lot of it seemed to come out of ideas of climate change. Megan, you kind of talked about the, the things that we learn about with climate change are, can be pretty scary and, and freak people out. Does it feel like that this, this group and the work that you're doing uh, alleviates some of that anxiety? Does it feel like you're able to, to really put your energy into something that feels hopeful? Can, is someone willing to talk a little bit about that, kind of the emotional experience of the work that you're doing?
3: I guess um, I can, oh, you okay. go. No, Megan, you go ahead. Oh, okay.
0: Um, it's hit or miss for me. Um, some days I feel like we're doing a lot of great stuff and I'm really proud of what the club has done. Um, and some days I, you know, get these low points and I don't really feel like there's anything I can do or it's. I'm. I just feel like, oh, it's just one voice. What difference does that make? Um so it really depends on the day. Ava, did you want to say something?
3: I was going to say that like climate change it's like it's hard to like think about it all of the time because like it's such like I guess a heavy topic. And even though like sometimes I feel like the stuff that I do like it's so small. Like the fact that I do anything like maybe just like a small thing every day like it helps. And sure, sometimes it feels like what's the point or like, am I even making a difference? But like, I think you just gotta do
4: what you can.
2: Audrey, you can just jump in. Yeah, um, just, just consider it a conversation.
4: <laughs> uh, like what Eva said, um, like, I just try to do one thing a day that I think can help. But I think with EAT, what we're trying to do is to get the community as a whole to do one thing at a time like the meatless mondays i wasn't there when i when they organized it but it's such a good thing even though it's quite small every monday we don't serve meat in the cafeteria and that just helps a lot even though it seems like it won't and it's 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 in the last week or so it's been a bit discouraging for me in eat because um, i've been working on the recycling project um for the whole year so far um the last five or six months, and we still haven't gotten it off the ground, but we're working towards it, and we're trying to get permission to do everything, and we're organizing the way our system will work, and hopefully in the next month or so, we'll do it, and that's really, I guess, it makes me less discouraged about it, because I know something has happened. Yeah, Go ahead, Chloe. Yeah,
0: I definitely agree with what all of you have said. I think in a way, while I think it's important to make the changes that we can, it still feels really limiting a lot because first of all, there's the limitation of are these actions that we want to have happen actually going to happen? And a lot of the time it's not even up to us, it's more up to the administration and all other things and sometimes they take money and so there's the question of can the school afford it and all kinds of things in terms of that but then even beyond that when these actions are successful that's always it's always encouraging but if you really think about it it's the small actions in terms of the climate crisis aren't really the problem there's like a few big companies and corporations which are like create over 70% or something like that of the world's emissions. And these problems really are even deeper than that. They're like embedded in the very systems that we're living in. And that is all very discouraging. And like within this one little club, there's not much that we can do about that as a whole. And this isn't really a solution to the climate crisis. But At the same time, I think it's important, like everyone is saying to make the change that we can make. But yeah, it can be, it can definitely be really discouraging at times.
1: Can I ask a question um, that I'm hearing, we're using different language and I'm curious about this and and, you know, being of a different generation, the shift in language from climate change to climate crisis, um, it like like Chloe when you said that at the beginning, uh, um, you've said it twice and at the beginning, and it it like jars me in a different way. It's, I'm like, it's a crisis, and it and it is, and um, so I guess I wanted to hear more. Do you feel like is your is your language intentional? Is that part of your generation? And um, could you share a little more?
0: Yeah, I think it definitely it definitely is intentional. I well, there's like three different terms that I've heard being used, which are global warming, climate change, and climate crisis. So, global warming is probably the most specific because climate change could mean. Pretty much any type of general change in the climate. Climate change, it refers to what's happening, but it also is kind of vague because, you know, the Earth's climate has changed really abruptly in so many ways throughout its history. Never quite to this extent, or not necessarily to this extent, but like caused by humans to this level. But it has definitely changed a lot over the past thousands of years years and so but yeah it's and then it's saying I heard I used to say climate change more now I mostly try to say climate crisis because like you said it is a crisis and I think it's been going on for a long time without a lot of action happening And so I kept hearing the words global warming and climate change over and over and over again. And eventually they stopped having quite as much meaning and quite as much jarringness. And it became more like a casual thing. And so I think saying climate crisis brings a little more attention and a little more urgency to the issue, which I think personally is appropriate. So, yeah, that's why I try to say climate crisis
4: usually. instead. Thank you.
2: Audrey, were you trying to jump in there?
4: Um, yeah, I think Chloe kind of addressed it at the end, but I agree with like cli- um, global warming. That's very specific. Like it, the world is warming, but it doesn't always mean that it's warmer. Like in the past few years in Oregon, we've had much worse winters that we have in the previous five years or so like we've had feet of snow and that's never happened before to us. And that doesn't seem like global warming even though the earth is still warming. And then climate change, yes, the world is changing but it has created a crisis. So like Chloe said, renaming it to a crisis and using the word crisis more, it really draws attention to it so that people actually pay attention to the fact that change can be slow, but it is a crisis. So you need to pay attention to it now.
2: So I'd like to build off on uh Berkeley's question just kind of a, about generational differences. Um, I feel like that there's there's currently it seems like just on social media there's a lot of um you know i don't I don't know if I'd call them crisis action groups or you know but but groups of people that are using social media to drive this message um and a lot of them are or um, run by young people like yourselves, people out of college. Um, and I'm wondering if you have uh, you individually or your team has any connection with any outside groups that are considering larger actions um, that, that would connect EAT to larger networks of of young people doing things that are uh, maybe larger, like Chloe's talking about, is really taking on some of those big polluters collectively, um, while you're doing the individual small things that are important here at Catlin. Um,
3: so I can, I can talk about this a little bit. Um, not right now, pretty much not right now because of COVID, and like meetings have been hard. Um, but there is this organization that operates in. Portland, and in Oregon, as well as, I think, all of the U.S., and it's CCL, which is the Citizens Climate Lobby, um, and so I have worked with them um, for for a little while, actually, um, more my mom than me, but basically, it's an organization that, like, supports um, a carbon tax, and so that's pretty much the main goal of it, but that's
4: just something that I've on outside of Katlin. Um Also, I think just in the last meeting or two, I'm not part of this group, but I think um, EAT as a whole was thinking about um, creating another group to reach out to other sustainab- sustainably groups in other schools so that we could create like a citywide or um, organization with different schools so that they could work together and get more done as a community so that we can just slowly expand so that more can get done over time
0: yeah i'm megan and i are a part of that group and um yeah like audrey was saying we're just we are trying to build more connections especially since with covid there's less that we can do in terms of changing things because beforehand a lot of our projects were really based on campus and how it's used and all of that. So that, while it's been pretty, mostly been negative impacts for our club in particular, as well as a lot of other things, of course, um, one benefit has been that even though we have been more limited in what we can do, it has helped us try think of different projects that we might not have tried otherwise, like reaching out to other schools and other groups.
2: So do you feel um, that if we head back in the next month or two or, you know, the possibility of people getting back on campus uh, eventually before spring break is probably pretty high. Are there projects that are ready to go just on the back burner, Um, you know, kind of like the recycling, piece that audrey was talking about that if we get started getting back in uh in contact with each other that those things will be up and ready basically ready to go
4: yeah so i'm part of the recycling team and what we were going to do was do that basically at home what we were doing at school where we drive number six plastics to agilix where they can process it and turn it into oil or other number six plastics And obviously if we go back to school, it will be less necessary for us to bring our at home number six plastics. But if we can start something like that, then maybe we can continue it where people will bring their stuff from home to school, where we will then bring them to Agilix. And then another thing that our recycling team is working on is actually focusing more on individual knowledge about recycling because everybody knows to recycle but they don't really know what to recycle, especially um, every week in our CNC. We have different CNCs that go out and sort the recycling stuff. And I found that people are always looking towards Patrick who knows everything about recycling because they don't actually know as much as they think they do. So if we can really get into people's heads what they can recycle and how, and that would be really helpful towards the future at home and at school.
2: Have you guys... Um, been aware, or are people still aware of the the recycling app or the recycling website that was created several years ago by a, a Catlin senior? I don't know if that's still being used um, by by upper schools teachers or or students. Is that something that's still available to sp- to speak to the idea of like what do you recycle and what do you not recycle? Mm-hmm. Um,
3: so that app was made
0: by Sydney Nagy who. As you said, I graduated a few years ago, and I believe that it is out of date. And so we have not, we've been kind of waiting to get someone to update it because I don't really know anything about coding. So it's definitely not my forte. Um, And it's just, that's just been a project that we really haven't been able to work on for like two years now. So it is, we really have
4: not used it, which is such a shame because it's a really nice tool. Yeah. Yeah, on top of that, um, different counties, different districts, they all have different rules. So it is pretty hard, especially when Catlin students come from all over the Portland um, metro community and stuff like that to get like specific things down that maybe one student will be able to recycle and another won't. So it will be hard to continue with that, but maybe working with the invent team would be helpful. The
1: eighth graders right now are focusing specifically on plastics and plastic use at home. And um, part of that work will entail educating themselves and their family, re-educating usually or refreshing, you know, what what can be recycled, what can't be recycled because it has shifted a lot in the last couple of years as China has um, stopped importing plastic, you know, from Portland. Um, and I think it is shifting I think because of that, there's even new um, potential for costs of packaging. There's legislation and work that's being happening, that's happening, trying to shift um, who's paying for packaging to try to shift some of the cost rather than to the recyclers to the producers of plastics. Mm. So um, there's more work being done there, and it does have to be updated. And, you know.
4: Yeah, the basic rule of thumb is the lower the number on the recycling sign, the more likely it is that it can be recycled. So.
2: Yeah, there's, I mean, all, all those things around and the politics around those, those signs too. Um, I was listening to a podcast uh, and I'll put it, I'll find it and I'll put it in the description um, uh, of this podcast, but there was a great podcast on the, the kind of the whole origin of the creation of those, those numbers um, that was actually created by the plastic industry itself, trying to put, basically make the consumers responsible for the things they were making. And and those numbers were never really meant to be about recycling. They were just numbers to let people know what kind of plastic they were. So does anybody know more about that, about Audrey? It sounds yeah. like you, ha- you're the, you're the recycling <laughs> person, plastic person.
4: Yeah. So, um, I do have a whole list right here next to me that I could read out, um, but I don't I don't think that's really important <laughs> right now because I don't think anybody will be writing it down. But um, it really comes up to supply and demand. And like the problem with the higher plastics, like number six plastic, which my team is focusing on, and that's like um, polystyrene. Um, and that's what you get in takeout containers, the, stuff that'll crumble. Um, The problem with it is that it's really cheap. So there's no point in recycling it when you can just make more of it. So that's why they don't recycle it. Um, But with Agilix, where we bring our number six plastics, they can turn it back into other um, polystyrene or just into oil to make other plastics. But the higher the number, it's probably cheaper to make. Um, and it's usually, like, a thinner material, so there's no point in recycling it when you can just make more to the larger companies, but then that's, of course, really bad for environment. Mm-hmm.
3: This is a bit of a side note, and correct
0: me if I'm wrong, you guys, but one thing I find interesting is um, number seven plastics are advertised as, like, uh, natural based sources like, um, made out of food scraps and like natural things, the opposite of what plastic is supposed to be. And that is, in my opinion, the hardest plastic to recycle, the most like natural plastic. I just find that to be
3: very interesting.
4: Yeah, they are the more natural plastics. Um, seven, seven, um, Plastic number seven. Its category is literally called "other." It's every other plastic or other material that you can't recycle into other categories, and it does tend to be the thicker, more natural, or super thin natural. And it's the problem with that plastic is just because it's an other category, it's so broad and everything. Everything is made totally differently. So you can't recycle it easily because you'd have to break it up into tiny little subgroups.
2: Very, hmm. we could, we could spend all day talking about plastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, two years ago, my, my new year's resolution was to hold on to every single piece of plastic I purchased for an, an entire year, which, which my wife, it kind of drove her crazy because <laughs> my basement became this dumping ground of plastics that I tried to sort in all of these different ways. And I, I always said, well, I'll just, I'll recycle it all at the end. I'll figure out a way to recycle it all at the end. Um, but it was really helpful for me and my family to just really be conscious of like the, the amount, you know, we go to the store and, you know, go to buy razors or something and be like, okay, is there one razor that doesn't come in plastic? And even if it's the cheaper one or like worse quality, it's like it really it helped to shift the thinking about just buying and, and not just automatically grabbing whatever's there um, because I knew it was going to be stacking up. And I actually am still in the process of getting rid of some of it. And for for Christmas this year, my wife gave me a subscription to this company that started in Seattle called Ridwell that um, they now, I have a little bin that they will come around and pick up all of these other plastics that you can't really get rid of or light bulbs or, you know, there, there's these small niche companies that are starting to try to deal with some of those, um, things, you know, like my batteries, light bulbs, socks that have holes that I can't use anymore. They're, you know, I have a little metal container that says Ridwell and they come once a month and, I can dump some of my extra plastic, but I'm <laughs> slow. It's taken a long time to get rid of the, all this stuff. It's not really getting rid of it. I'm putting it elsewhere, but.
4: Yeah, that sounds like a really good process. But if you want, um, if you do need to find places, um, usually if you go to like your um, region's uh, recycling website. They will give a list of different stores and places where you can drop off things. So that's really helpful.
2: Okay. Well, and and any resources that you have that are links, we'll just add them to the description so people can have access to them. You know, a- after the pod, after they listen to this. Um, I did want to shift gears a little bit um, to go back to talk about Elizabeth Rush um, and just. I'm really curious about the reactions that you all had to it. I know that the upper school and I believe the middle school was the middle school there as well, um, had a chance to listen to her. And then there was also a, a, a chance for families and parents to come in and listen to her. You know, she's talking about, you know, her book was about researching and talking to to people that were having these direct impacts from rising sea levels. What what did you think about her her um, her story her what she what she shared? Let, let's just talk a little bit about your reactions.
3: Okay, I guess I can go first. Um, I loved her talk.
0: I'm a little biased because I helped organize it, but um, I thought it was really interesting. And I I um, when reading her book and listening to her talk, I feel like she brought up a lot of aspects of um, sea level rise and how they um, intersect with other problems that we face, like um, the problems of poverty, like marginalized communities and how they'll be affected by climate change, like problems with race. Like, I thought it was really interesting how she brought up things that you wouldn't immediately think of when you look at the issue of sea level rise or when you just look at climate change.
3: yeah, I just loved her. I thought it was really cool.
2: Megan, do you want to talk a little bit about the the process of bringing her? How did, how did we get her? And like, did, did a lot of people read her book? What was the, what was the beforehand work that went into her coming? And then what's, what's been the after thoughts that people have had? Did she just come and then she moved on or were there more conversations or what, what happened with that?
3: Yeah,
0: so, Berkeley, feel free to add, because you were also on this, and Chloe, too. Um, I think that Barbara, or the sustainability team, found out about her, and I believe sent out an invite asking her to come um, present, and um, we started advertising her book in the months leading up to it and the sustainability team organized an um, audiobook reading by members of the Cat and Gable community, so we put that out there as well. Um, then, of course, her visit was pushed off. Um, it was originally going to be in March of 2020, but it was pushed off until December of 2020. Um, then in about November or October, Isaac, who was on the sustainability team, um, reached out to EAT asking if they could of like lead the discussion um and lead the upper school and middle school assembly and so we just started brainstorming questions um and then of course the day came we did some little intros but it turned out that the community was really interested in her which was super great and so we basically didn't have to ask any of the questions that we had prepared which was like really really awesome to see and there was also a discussion group afterwards which was more of a like small assembly type situation, um, which I thought was really cool. As far as after thoughts, I think I'm not so sure about this one because I haven't really been in contact with a lot of people in quarantine. Like I haven't really been able to talk about what they thought about it. But I think that um, faculty really liked the assembly. I think that students thought that it was interesting. I'm not sure if it prompted a ton of discussions in classes. If you guys have any ideas, let we'll add on to this,
3: but I, I think it received positive feedback, which was good. Well,
1: I, I thought Audrey, I mentioned- oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
4: I think I mentioned, um, actually I didn't mention this earlier, um, but I did mention earlier, but um, a lot of my friends, they really liked the, um, they really liked her presentation and they were talking about how great it was and everything she was saying was, um, was something they never thought of and how it was really interesting. It didn't create that much discussion afterwards, like Megan said, um, well, a lot among my group of friends but people really appreciated it and they, re- they had obviously learned a lot from what she had to say.
0: Yeah, I think another thing that was great about having her here is well, um it was a topic that we haven't hasn't been as prevalent in my mind even or in like the what in discussions or anything rising sea levels, the climate crisis in general because in the past few months that's been overshadowed in a way by the other crisis of COVID-19. And I mean, it's not like we want to be thinking about all these crises all the time because it is really stressful and there's not always a lot that we can personally do, but it was uh, it was nice to have a little bit of a change of
1: perspective in there.
2: So just, I, go ahead, Berkeley. Yeah.
1: Well, I just wanted to share, I mean, Audrey, what you're talking about and Chloe, Um, I had the sense while listening to her and I wish that this conversation could be happening like right after we heard her, because uh, you were describing like, you know, you were getting all these texts about it. And that does say something about how it was resonating with students. And I felt that in the virtual meeting, like I was just I was so jealous that Megan and Chloe and others would get to go and have a conversation with her um, because I did feel like she brought a fresh um, voice to that, to the, to the climate crisis. She was, she was going out and she was documenting these changes in communities and it was taking her years and she had the lens of being a creative writer to sort of communicate that through her writing. And that is unique as opposed to the data and the statistics that are awesome and they're wonderful, but it reminded me that the story behind it often motivates people to make change. Um, And as a side note, she connected it back to like it is big corporations, as you said, Chloe and um, Ava, as you were, you know, it is that are out of you know decisions that are out of our control. She acknowledged she was acknowledging that, too. It wasn't it wasn't a take your plastic to the recycling. It was this is so much larger than us. And that was kind of reassuring to hear that. I don't know if others felt that way.
0: Yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of times there's a lot of individual pressure to like, do your part to save the planet. And I think that is important, but it sh- off it a lot of the time it distracts from the main issue. And also a lot of the time, those small changes or whatever don't work for any for everyone, because sometimes people don't have access to those things. Though, of course, the communities who have the least resources are the ones who are contributing in general overall the least as well. But I agree that it is definitely important to focus on how it's a much bigger picture than any of us as individuals. And I also really resonate with what you said, Berkeley, about how it really is about the people and about the it's more, it's more than the data. It's more than the rising temperatures. It's about how it's affecting people, how it's playing into the systems and coming from the systems of our everyday life and of the oppression that is everywhere. And it's what really matters isn't that the data. It isn't, I mean, that's important, of course, and it helps us understand it in a different way but what really matters is how it's affecting people and ecosystems and and landscapes and animals and plants and all of that and how it's affecting the most marginalized people and i think it's important to pay attention to that and that was another thing that i liked about I haven't read all of Rising yet, but I like how, like you said, how it's focusing on it from a different perspective than just the data or what could happen in the future.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, is, um, go ahead, Megan.
0: Oh, this is just a small comment, but that idea of like individual action versus systemic change is something that the EAT has really been struggling with as a club because it's hard, or from our perspective, it feels hard to implement any systemic change. We're just one club at one tiny school. But at the same time, if we sit back and do nothing, um, you know, how does that make us feel? So I think that your point, Chloe, was, um, is very important to pay attention to.
2: It It also makes me wonder how we can do a better job, how the school can do a better job, or investigate new ways to tell those stories. Um, you know, having this podcast is one way to to help tell a story, but I feel like that the work that you all are doing, there's so many interesting stories there. Um, it'd be really interesting to have EAT consider not just the projects that you're doing that are so important, you know, the little steps. I I think they really are. I think, you know, both as a psychological thing and and an ability to do something and hold on to do something and, and make change. I think, you know, the mention of like meatless Mondays, that's something that's now embedded in kind of a cultural piece that will shift people's way of thinking, even if it just makes them think, oh, it's Monday. I shouldn't eat any meat. That I think that's really important. Um, but i'd be just interested and you don't have necessarily have to have an answer here but it would be interesting to think about how eat could be a platform to tell stories to get people more excited uh, and to get them sharing those you know sending text back and forth and you know you have projects then you also has this this sharing of of stories and stories maybe beyond catlin like you were talking about chloe with with people that are marginalized and are are feeling more of the impact than we are as this community. Ava did you want to jump in?
3: Um, So I just wanted to like briefly mention that like so I'm a part of the Eat Your Emissions newsletter and right now we've only it just began this year and we've only released three issues so far and so far they've been short and they've just been about like environmental issues and things like small things that people can do at home to like cut back on contribution but like I feel like it's the start of something really important because it does give a voice however like even though the audience isn't very big right now um I'm excited about it because I'm hoping that not like not only will it be like a tool to like tell people about like what we can do but also like a tool to like educate people on like not just the big idea, but like smaller things that contribute or are part of the climate crisis.
1: Eva, could you share more? Is that a newsletter that's part of EIT's work and that's going out to, can you say more about who's um, listening to that or receiving that information, I guess, and um, yeah.
3: Yeah, totally. So, the newsletter is called Eat Your Emissions, and it is released every other week, so it's a biweekly newsletter, and you can find it on the Daily Bulletin um, on Mondays and Tuesdays for both the upper school and the lower school, and actually, um, recently, we have started putting it in the divisional newsletter as well, so any parents listening to this podcast, every Friday, you can check out um, the biweekly newsletter, yeah.
2: I love the title. It's a great <laughs> <laughs> it works very well. Um, I'm I'm curious what you guys think of Greta Thunberg and the impact that she has had. Um, kind of going back to this this idea of individual impact and work people are doing. From my understanding and, and reading about her and listening to her and watching her, you know she she's not necessarily saying, do this or do that, but she's really being a voice to just, to be out there and, and make the, the crisis, the climate crisis known and really push governments. So I'm really curious about what you personally think about her and, um, maybe not as a person necessarily, but the impact that she has, the impact that she has on, on people your age, is she inspirational? What, what did you What do you guys think of her?
4: Um, I don't really, um, um, recently I haven't looked a lot into what she's been saying, but I feel like in the past few years, like the government in, or the news, they don't really take our generation that serious when we talk about the climate crisis and how it's affecting our lives and how it will affect our lives in the future. And I feel like Greta has become a mouthpiece for that and she's really like you said brought attention to it and made people think about it seriously and take our generation people our age seriously when we're talking about problems that we want to address so yeah I think she's just become like a figure that um, speaks for Gen Z or in younger millennials and draws attention to the fact that we have opinions and we want people to listen to them and it's affecting our lives. It's affecting their lives and it will affect our lives in the future. So we want to fix it.
2: I'm, I'm wondering about the actions that you take as an organization. You know, there's Chloe mentioned earlier on that, you know, you have to kind of wait and get approval of, of things. Do you ever feel like you want to step out of the boundaries of asking for permission and just taking, taking action, you know, like she didn't ask for permission. She just kind of did what she did. Um, and, you know, is it, it's going to take those kind of willingness to be able to say, you know what, I we're not going to wait, we're not going to wait for you to do this or not. Do you feel like there's, there's the potential to do that at Catlin or is it feel a little bit like, eh, we're just a small organization. We don't want to get in trouble. <laughs>
4: Um, I think maybe someone else can speak on it more. I think the main reason like my group has run into problems this year is because of COVID. We need permission from the emergency response team. Normally, everything else would have gone much faster. We obviously would have had to ask for permission, but it wouldn't have to go through that many layers and they wouldn't have to consider as seriously. But it's just the crisis that's made it hard for us. I'm not sure how it's affected the other groups in EAT, though. Yeah,
0: I think it definitely depends on the project because for some things are completely out of our control. We can't like buy a bunch of solar panels and install them (laughs) on campus all on our own. So for some things we are relying on other, on the administration and on other people at Catlin in order for those things to happen. So I think... I mean, it it really depends on the project. Some things we don't, because some, sometimes they we can just do it without needing to ask permission. And then it, I mean, it depends. There's the issue of the impact you want to have, because it will have a different impact whether you ask permission about it or not. And that's the impact is the most important thing.
2: Yeah, that's well said. I'm wondering about kind of the gender, um, balance, you know, we with, with the, the organization. Um, and I've wondered this also in kind of my years of teaching, it feels like there, there tends to be a, a gender gap in, in the, the participation in organizations like this. I don't want to stir things up, but I'm just wondering if you all think about that or, um, or are there, are there kind of groups of people that, that, tend to join and do this work? Does it feel frustrating that there's not a, you know, more boys involved or I don't know.
3: Um, okay. So I think that right now we have like maybe one boy, two boys, maybe in the environmental action team. And, um, you know, it's not something that like I immediately noticed, but I think that like with boys, I think that like they mature into things a little bit later, maybe. (laughs) So like, I think that right now, like as like, I don't know, like 14 to 18 years old, like climate change or the climate crisis is maybe not as like big of like, it's not a topic that they just have in their head all the time, which I think is like different for girls. Um, But like, I think that as they grow older then it becomes more equal like how men and women like think about it or like do work against it
0: i've been it's been really interesting to see our turnout this year because um last year and the year before we had about at least in my freshman year which was um 2018 through 2019 it was about even and then 2019 through 2020, uh, it started being majority girls. And we actually had, um, those years, we had um, male leaders, male co-leaders. And then this year in remote learning, uh, there's one, one guy who bravely shows up to every meeting. Um, it's just been really interesting. I don't know why that is. Um, but it's just been an interesting change to see. Yeah, it's definitely something that I've noticed as well I also don't know why I think there's a lot of possible different reasons and it's different for every individual and but there is definitely a huge connection between climate and environment and gender as well as race and all sorts of other things but yeah it's I don't know. I think it's kind of uh it it just it's all connected.
4: Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you don't really think of it when you're working in your smaller groups cuz that's like 3 or 4 people and it's totally normal for you to like you don't really notice it because it's just two other people and but when you are asked about it like you just have it just really bamboozles me. I don't really know why. Yeah,
1: I'm glad you asked it, Rob, because I I noticed it right away when we were on this call, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if others are thinking that too.
2: Yeah, well, it's you know, it's also it's a question that comes up for me all the time, and I'm partially because I'm interviewing a lot of people. I'm trying to keep things balanced in all sorts of ways. Um, and also when I look at the people that listen to this podcast, as, as much as the, the technology allows people to differentiate who is calling themselves male or female or people that don't differentiate, there's some a small group, but about 65% of the listeners to this podcast are you know, classified in the female category, which is also something I think about is like, huh, you know, two thirds of people that are listening to this, uh, are, you know, there, there's that, that, again, there's a similar kind of, uh, difference in gender that, that listen to this podcast. So it's a question i am I'm always thinking about, well, thank you all so much for, for coming and sharing all the work you're doing. I'm always encouraged to have you all doing this work behind the scenes and up front. And for me, it's hopeful to, to have such smart, um, dedicated, passionate people doing this kind of work. And I I really look forward to seeing the impacts that you have. I think you might not feel it, but you do, you guys definitely, uh, if nothing else, you encourage other people to, to think about these things. And I think that's, that's more than you can probably know, um, the impact that you have. So thanks for, for coming and talking and, um, again, I'll, I'll list as many things, you know, give me give me websites and, um, you know, links to newsletters, and I will put all that stuff on here so people can directly go and, and find out more. So
1: um, do you have an online presence at Catlin? Like, is, is that part of the website or anything like that? I was just thinking about links and resources. I know we talk about that as a sustainability committee. But I was curious if EAT has that on our website.
4: I think we recently got an Instagram. I'm not exactly sure exactly what it's called. Chloe, it's, you know?
0: Oh, um, oh gosh, I don't have my
4: phone. My phone. At oney. Yeah, yeah. That
2: We'll we'll link it down in in the description. So. Thank you. All right. Well, have a great week, and um, we'll we'll be uh, hopefully seeing and hearing from you guys more.
1: Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Have a good rest of your evening.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of Elevate.
3: If you have questions, ideas, or want to share
2: your story, please email us at elevate at catlin.edu.